0: hello, hello. So now I'm not angry at all my neighbors for decorating for Christmas because Thanksgiving is over, so it's okay. It's all right. I did have the idea that next year I'm going to order some signs that that you can stick into yards that have like a pilgrim and a turkey on it, and I'm going to ride around Newport News and stick them in all the yards where there are holiday decorations. And my family said, "Uh, no, you're not doing that, right? So so that 's been Nick's. it 's been Nick's. Hey, before we get into the message tonight, I just is Jason Kearney. He is here, and he 's going to hate this because he is a behind the scenes kind of guy, but Jason and Amy. Have been a part of this church from the very first time it was a church. They came with the plant team from Williamsburg 12 years ago, have been so faithful. There's, there's not an area of the ministry that Jason can sing. You might not know that. He was on the worship team, right? And then when the worship set was over, they'd be over doing kid life in the movie theater. And uh, so they have served in every capacity, life groups, their local elders here at our Newport News campus. But one of the, the, the most significant contributions they've made is also through our finance team. When we moved here in 2007, one of the first things we did was formed a finance team to really guide the church financially. And they were uh, charter members of that group and have been faithful parts of it uh, ever since. And so if you know Jason, you know he's just one of the most kindest, caring people that you are ever going to. Today is his birthday. So this is just a little card for him. So we love you much. We love you much. So driving teaches us about human nature. <laughs> Does it not? I know, I know. So, so now maybe I'm the only one, but when you're driving and you're going from one speed limit to another and you're in a 45 and you see that it's going to change to 25, when do you start driving 25? 25. Not not what the law is, but where does it happen? Who said it over here? Yeah, once you hit the sign, right? Yeah, I don't know what the law is. I'm just saying. But it's it's once you hit the sign, right? It's it's I'm not gonna slow down And, and you and you have it perfectly timed if you've been driving for any amount of time, right? You know exactly where to head and you slow down. So if you're in a 25 and you see a speed limit sign that says 45, oh off in the distance, tell the truth. Tell the truth, when do you start going from 25 to 45? You when you see it, right? I know. Now, some of you, it's got, like, you've got, like, night vision, right? So you can see that sign far off. or it's, it's, You can spot that speed limit going up for you a mile down the road. You've got, like, vision of an eagle. But when it's the other way around, I'm not slowing down until I immediately pass the sign, right? So that teaches us, I think, a lot about our journey as devoted followers of Christ, and this is why, is that we're quick to respond to the blessing and the favor, but we're slow to respond to the sacrifice. We, we, we want the liberty, we want the freedom, but when there is a sacrifice that God is asking of us, we are reluctant And and one of the reasons why that creates a predicament for us in our journeys as followers of Christ is that oftentimes the sacrifice is connected to the blessing. The, The blessing that we want to be able to respond to quickly oftentimes never comes because we're putting off the sacrifice that God is asking of us. So much of this journey in our lives as devoted followers of Christ means that we've got to be willing to embrace celebrate, not just tolerate, this experience of dying to self that Jesus expects of us. So tonight, we're gonna be talking about, oh, I'm using a clicker. I forgot, I'm so out of practice. Here it comes. All right, that's the wrong first slide. You're gonna have to help me out, Katie. It should be questions about fasting. They should be in order, one through four. There you go. Am I in order now if I start? Okay. (laughs) Honest words from the tech booth. Honest words from the tech booth. All right. That's great. So, you know, if the, the slide that was just up there, letspractice.com, that's for you. If, you've been, if you're visiting with us or if, if you're new to the church, uh, that's our website that we've got dedicated to uh, our discipleship model. Fasting is one of our 12 pathways. We've been in a series all year where we've been kind of jumping in and out in different parts of our model, and we've been kind of digging around on our 12 pathways. If you're not sure what that's about, uh, there's a booklet that we give you. It's a free gift for you at the end of the service. You can see somebody uh, in a blue shirt. But tonight, we're talking about Right, which was, I, I want to say that David Godwin might have coined this phrase. It's, it's the Christian F word, right? It's fasting. It's, it's the sacrifice that we don't want to make. Now see, I'm nice because I waited till after Thanksgiving to put this on the agenda, right? You with me? So right, I I should get a little applause for that. Thank you, whoever's clapping out there. I know, you're welcome. I'm a nice guy, right? If I'd have done this last week, you'd have been, I don't know what he's thinking, right? Setting us up for sin, that's what he's doing. That could be our new mission statement as a church, setting you up for sin here at the City Life Church. Come and worship with us. Fasting, one of the reasons why we we like to teach about fasting here is because it's so misunderstood. And so it's gonna be a little City Life retro if if, if you've been around uh, for any amount of time because we used to use media slides for all of our teachings because we cover so much textual ground in our sermons it's hard to keep up with notes and then our website got updated thanks to ryan nicholson and the tech team and everything that they do amazing work here right is that now we can load a pdf that goes with the podcast and so we're not as limited in our teaching approach but i thought tonight we would do go a little retro and work off of our slides tonight so so we're going to be talking about fasting the most of our time i'm not sure we're going to get through all of it tonight so it's probably Going to spill over into next week, some. But Isaiah 58 is a remarkable chapter in the Bible about fasting. Doctor Elmer Towns from Liberty University, an amazing modern day scholar. He's got all kinds of books out there. Uh, But one of my favorites of his is Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough. So a lot of this comes from that book. So I just want to give a nod to that. When I found that book, probably about 15 years ago, it revolutionized my life uh, and with fasting. And so, so with with all right, Katie, I'm gonna when I push the button, you just we'll just pretend like it's working, right? All right, there we go. Oh my goodness, you're killing me. There we go, all right. So let's, let's, talk, about, let, let's talk about what a fast is. So, so a lot of times people don't do the kind of fast that the Bible is really talking about because they justify it that they do other types of fast. Other types of fasts are good but they can't be used to replace the traditional fast that Christianity requires of us. There is something about setting aside food and things that physically sustain you because part of the journey is learning how to deny your physical body and and to be in control of the appetite that so often is in control of us. Because if you can be in control of that appetite, you can be in control of just about any appetite that your body has. One of the purposes is for fasting is for you to learn how to step into a place of self-governance over all of your faculties, and this is part of the journey that we're expected. Isaiah 58, 6-8, which we're gonna read in just a minute, talks about scriptural purposes for fasting. And then there, there was also a reference to Mark 9, because that's the place when the disciples came down off of the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus said they, they were trying, the disciples were trying to uh, pray for this little boy that was possessed by a demon. They were unsuccessful. And Jesus makes the statement, such things can only be cast out through prayer and fasting. Now, that statement put fasting in a box that Jesus never intended it to be, not because he misspoke, but because we misunderstood. Does that make sense? Jesus didn't misspeak, but we misunderstand. And, And so people think that, one, that that means that if you're gonna fast, you always have to have time, extra time dedicated for prayer. And so people look at their schedule and say, well, I don't have a day to set aside for prayer, so I'm not supposed to fast. But that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was referring to this idea that your life and my life should be defined by these 12 spiritual pathways that we teach. Fasting and prayer are two of those 12. And what Jesus was saying to those disciples is that if you're not investing in your spiritual maturity before you get to the place where you have to move with spiritual power, you're not going to have the power that you need because you're going to lack the spiritual maturity that you're supposed to be walking in. What Je- because what we know from that story is that Jesus didn't stop and call a fast right? He said these things can only come out by prayer and fasting, but what he didn't do, he didn't say to the father whose son was in desperate need, we're going to meet you back here in two days, and we're going to go and fast, and then when we come back, we're going to be able to help you. Jesus was able to move in the power that that child needed because he stepped into the moment prepared because fasting was a part of his regular life. Jesus was saying to the disciples, if you're going to be able to be the kind of disciple that I'm expecting you to be, then you've got to invest in your spiritual maturity and prayer and fasting are two ways that you get there. These are the questions that you should be asking yourself before you go on a fast. So let's look at Isaiah 58. Let's look at Isaiah 58. Can you take me back to the other slide, Katie? Is this the one that was just up there? Let's read through this one together. This is, this is 6 through 8. These are the nine, the nine focuses that Dr. Elmer Towns talks about. It says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, which which we're going to work through all nine of these. Again, we're not going to get through all of them tonight. To undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Verse seven, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out and when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spread shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So out of this text, Dr. Elmer Towns identifies nine focuses for fasting. It doesn't mean that these are the only nine things that you should be fasting about. You can fast about anything in life. But what it does mean, if you're gonna be praying about these nine things specifically, there's something about a fast that changes changes you so that you can step into that moment and be effective. Another part of fasting, which we're going to see from the stories that we read as we work through these nine, tonight and next, and next weekend, is that for whatever reason, and it's a little bit of a mystery to us, that there are stories in the Bible that clearly state that when you fast specifically... About these nine situations, not only does it change you, but there's something about that fast that unleashes the power of God in that situation. All right, let's look at the next one. All right, so the first one is this, is humanity. Humanity. The only time in the Old Testament where a fast is commanded. Oh, no, I'm going to go back to the 10 questions. Sorry, Katie. Sorry. These slides are all mixed up. Alright, all right, 10 questions. I'm gonna work through these. So these 10 questions are important to us. Let's look at Isaiah 58, 3 through 5. Isaiah 58, 3 through 5. It says, We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me humble yourselves. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds, bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? And then he goes on and continues to make these accusations against the people of Israel. But what he's saying is is that you just can't go through the motion. Your heart's got to be in it. It's not, just about, it's not just about following the letter of the law, but, but your heart is supposed to be in it as well. He doesn't want us to just be robots that are looking in this book and saying, okay, I'm supposed to do this, I'm going to do it. He, he wants our hearts to do it because we wanna please him and because we trust him. Matthew 6 and verses 16 through 18 is part of the Sermon on the Mount, and this is the place where Jesus gives all the restrictions for what you're not supposed to do when you fast. Now, this leads to a lot of misunderstanding as well, not because Jesus misspoke, but because we misunderstand. And so he talks about the not having an appearance that you are fasting and not telling people that you're doing it. And, and what happens is, is people have used this or they've sat under teaching that, that have taught this that, that, that you're not ever supposed to let people know that, that you're fasting, but that's not the purpose of those portions of the Sermon on the Mount. The reason why Jesus gave those restriction because he was making accusations against religious leaders who were fasting for the wrong reason. They weren't fasting for any of these nine things. They they weren't fasting for their own spiritual maturity. They were fasting because they wanted to be seen as spiritually superior. It's a great example of what we were just talking about. If you're doing it, but you're doing it for the wrong reasons, it doesn't count. So the restrictions so many times that you read, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, were not restrictions that Jesus intended to be applied to all people for all times. It was to be applied to people who were doing it for the wrong motivation, Fasting shouldn't be something that we do boastfully. Fasting is not something that that we do, right? You're not in the workplace and carrying around a sign, I'm fasting today because you want people to think that you're spiritually superior to them. But you don't want to hide the fact that you're fasting because fasting creates curiosity in people. When if you've set aside a day for fasting and some people in your workplace say, hey, let's head out to lunch, you should go and just get a glass of just get water or, or whatever your, which we're gonna get into in just a minute, whatever your restrictions allow. And then somebody sitting next to you might say, Why are you just getting water today? And then you can say, Well, I'm I'm doing a fast as, as a follower of Christ. And then it might be one of those nine things and that we're gonna be working through, and you might be able to talk about one of those. I'm telling you, people want to hear about Christianity from authentic Christians. There, a lot of people don't like to hear about Christianity because they've only heard about Christianity from inauthentic Christians. They've heard about it from people who were like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day who only talk about their faith because they're trying to make themselves feel superior. People are hungry for authentic faith. And fasting is one of the ways that you can strike up, strike up a conversation with people. And I'm telling you, they're going to want to learn about what you're doing. So these, these 10 questions are important. The first one is this, is that you've got to decide what's, what's your motivation? Why are you doing it? Because if you're doing it just to be seen, if you're, if you're just doing it because you want to make yourself feel better about yourself, then don't do a fast because that's not a fast. Your motivation has got to be because either you want to grow spiritually and prepare yourself for some moment in your future, or it's going to be one of these nine focuses or something else that you – feel like if I fast, then it's going to make a bigger difference. If it is going to be because you've got a focus that you feel like that you need to pray for, then you pick that focus. It might be that you invite some other people to fast with you. That happens here at church oftentimes, that that you're calling somebody and say, hey, I'm going to fast on Thursday for so-and-so who's been diagnosed with cancer, and, and we just want to pray and set aside a day to pray and fast, and you get some people to join in with you. That's part of your focus. Are you doing it yourself? Are you going to involve some other people. An important question, if fasting is new for you, is that if, if you've got dietary restrictions, it might, be that you're, it might be that you're diabetic, or it might be that you're on certain kinds of medication that we're Require you to eat food and then you should call and schedule an appointment doctors have had conversations with christians from the beginning of time about how they given their body can fast and what restrictions are reasonable so set up an appointment go talk to your doctor and tell them that as a christian you want to be able to experiment with some fasting and let them talk to you about what's going to be safe don't be foolish don't be foolish if you've never done a fast before, talking about denying yourself of, of things that physically sustain you, that I would encourage you by the end of this year, pick a time and do it for the first time. I'm telling you, you'll, once you do it for the first time, you'll never stop. It'll become a part of your routine as a follower of Christ but you're, because you're gonna find the, and experience the meaningfulness of the experience. You don't have to start by doing something crazy, right? If you say, well, I'm not going to fast until I can do it for like a week, it probably is 50 years from now, 30 years from now, five years from now, you probably still won't have done it yet. You've got to give yourself some small steps that are easily attainable goals, and you build from there. I tell people the best thing you can do if you've never fasted before is to fast dinner. Just that night, eat a normal lunch, right? Don't go to Golden Corral for lunch, right? That's not how you fast. Gotta, gotta bank those calories before I go on this fast, right? Normal breakfast, normal lunch, and then after you eat lunch, you just, you don't eat any more food until you wake up for breakfast the next day. It's, it's the easiest way to do your first fast. Just don't eat dinner, you go to bed, you feel those pains of hunger, and you resist. You're going to want to say, oh, if I just get a snack, it'll be all right, right? You get to step into this moment where you say to your body, no, 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 no. I don't serve you. You serve me. My appetite belongs to me. I don't belong to my appetite. It's an easy way to do it for the first time. Just some time between now and the end of the year. If you're going to do an extended fast, your body still needs nutrition. You can use v8 juice. You might choose to have some type of parameters if you 're doing an extended fast where you do some type of juice smoothie. You might say where well, i 'm going to do soups that are a broth and i 'm not talking you don 't need to do that if you 're just fasting for two days, but if you 're going to fast for like twenty days, or I did my first forty day fast a few years ago, and so I had a plan for how nutrition was still going to be an important part of my routine because my life routine wasn 't going to change there's ways that you can introduce nutrition into your body where you're still not violating the principle of the fast which is battling those pains of hunger time frame is important make a decision if you just say i'm gonna start a fast and i'm just gonna get into it and then once i get into it i'll decide how long it's gonna last it's gonna last for about a half an hour right are you with me it's just you're right you're gonna you're gonna give yourself an out so you gotta, You got to pray and talk about it. We're going to get to that one in a minute with your family. But once you set it, lock it in. Don't give yourself the option to pull it. I'm telling you, if you say this Friday is going to, that I'm, I'm going to do it for a whole day. I know Fred just said for dinner, I'm doing it, I'm doing three meals. I'm, I will guarantee you, you can, that friend from college that you've not seen for 20 years is going to Facebook message you that they're passing through town and want you to take them out to your favorite restaurant, right? That Something is going to happen, and you've just you got to be locked in. you got to say to yourself, I'm not going to do it. So you still go out to dinner with that friend. You get a glass of water, or maybe you get a glass of VA juice and sit down and have dinner with them. I'm telling you, you're going to have some great things to talk about with them pick your time frame, lock it in, don't compromise. What are the parameters of your fast going to be? Again, that's going to be driven. It's connected to your nutrition. It's connected to your conversation with your doctor. Your parameters can also be dictated by the kind of work that you do. If, if you're a Physical trainer, or you do manual labor, an extended fast without food is probably going to be unwise for you, but it doesn't mean that you still can't sacrifice something that causes you to feel hungry and you can still do the things that you need to do to fulfill your responsibilities. Family is important. If you're married, especially if you've got kids and you're gonna do an extended fast, it's a family conversation because the table is a place oftentimes where family come together throughout the day. right? So depending on what family, what your family dynamic is, but for a lot of families, even though it might not be every day, but for the most part, dinner time is a time where family comes together. Breakfast time can be a time where family comes together. So you want to talk with your family. Let them be a part of the decision that the fast that you're going to go on. Back when I did my extended fast, I would still come and sit at the table. And then that's where I would plan, where I would have my, my big, tall glass of V8 juice. And then I would just drink that while they're eating, they're eating dinner. And you might say, well, Fred, that's got to be hard. And what I would say is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's called sacrifice, it's called dying to self. It's called denying yourself. The only way that you're gonna make progress and gaining ground over governance of your physical body is to wrestle with it, is to put it in a place where it's gonna to have to be submissive to you. And the way that you do that, which is why God designed it that way, is to make it feel hungry. Make your family part of it. What's your routine going to be? Again, we talked about that a little bit with your job. We talked a little bit about this idea of your witness. If you're going to do an extended fast, you should expect opportunities to talk to people about your faith. If you go into that fast praying about the witness that you want to have, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God will speak to your heart. He might remind you of a Bible verse that you had forgotten for a long time. It might be a a story of something that happened to you that you haven't thought about in a long time and you're thinking to yourself, huh, I haven't thought about that Bible verse in a long time, right? That's the Holy Spirit giving you something that you're gonna need to share at some point during this fast. You're you're gonna find yourself in a conversation with somebody and then all of a sudden you're gonna remember, right? God makes us look better than we are. You're, You're gonna have the perfect verse, to share with them. Have you ever heard about this verse in the Bible that talks about how much God loves you, right? And then you share that verse with them and you can just say, it was just the other day, I I was praying and God reminded me about that verse. I haven't thought about it for a long time and I think the reason why he reminded me was so I could share it with you. That, that's the kind of sharing the gospel that the world needs. It's what we talked about before, about this idea of authentic Christians sharing an authentic faith. It doesn't have to be some big production. It doesn't have to be in dramatic fashion. People want to know that you care. And when they begin to realize that God spoke to you about them, then they realize not only do you care, but God cares too. And then the journey begins for them. These are tw- 10 great questions that you can work through as you're journeying on this, on this, on this path of Christ and, and wrestling with fasting. All right, let's go to the next one. All right, so we're going to work through these again. We're going to get through a few of them, and we'll save the rest of them until next week. But Leviticus 23, Leviticus 23, 26 26 to 32, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Be careful to celebrate the Day of Atonement on the tenth day of that same month, nine days after the festival of trumpets. You must observe it as an official day for holy assembly, a day to deny yourselves, listen to that language, to deny yourselves and present special gifts to the Lord. That concept of denying themselves was this idea of fasting, denying themselves physical sustenance. Do not work during that entire day because it is the day of atonement. When offerings of purification are made for you, making you right with the Lord your God, all who do not deny themselves that day will be cut off from God's people. And then it goes on to talk about the consequences of not being in keeping with this tradition. It's the only time in the Old Testament where a fast is commanded as one of the seven great feasts. Forgiven for who we used to be, hope for who we are, having a vision and appetite for personal transformation, you should fast. There were feasts that were part of the Jewish culture feasts that they were commanded to practice, feasts that, that, that were required that they would participate in. It's interesting, isn't it, that one of the great feasts, as part of this feast, in the beginning of it, they were supposed to go on a fast together. And it's interesting to me that the only feast that's connected to a fast in the nation of Israel was connected to the feast celebrating the Day of Atonement. Now the Day of Atonement is the one day that the high priest would go into the temple and he would make a sacrifice for all the nation of Israel for the forgiveness of sin. And obviously we understand that was a prophetic picture of one day the coming of Christ and the sacrifice that he would make for all of us. I think there's a connection between fasting and the Day of Atonement, as Dr. Elmer Towns points out in Isaiah 58, that if you're praying for the world, right? If you're just, if you're praying for people just broadly to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, then that's a great thing to partner with the fast. It it might be that just God begins to give you a burden. You might be doing your daily devotion, whatever you're using. Let's say you're using Oswald Chambers, the the my utmost for his highest, and maybe you get to a place in there and, and you're reading, and all of a sudden you just, you feel this tug on your heart for the people in the world that don't know Christ. It might be that you're watching Nate, one of our regional elders, talking about this mission trip where he comes back from the Dominican Republic and just the great things that are going on there. And, and you're watching, and all of a sudden there's this, there's this tug on your heart, right? That's the Holy Spirit letting you know, hey, you should spend some time praying about people in the world who don't know Jesus. Your prayers make a difference. I don't know how they make a difference. No theologian can explain that to you. But God says that they do. It's one of the conversations we get to have with him when we get there. But what we can't do is let the things that are a mystery to us stop us from walking in obedience to the thing that God asks of us. If we've got questions, let's talk to him about those questions. But let's not do it as a reason to not step into the place that we're called to step into. If, If God puts a burden on your heart for the people of the world that don't know Christ, then fast lunch that day pray for the people in the world and you might say well Fred I'm not even sure how that one meal and that one prayer can make a difference in the whole world that doesn't know Christ and what I would say to you let's trust God to work out those details what if he's picked you what if he's picked one person in every city that day to pray for the world and he picked you in Newport News to do it I think that's the kind of stuff that we're going to see when we get to heaven God's going to show us the stuff that we got to be a part of that we didn't even know was happening. And I think some of those moments we're going to be sad because we didn't step in. But I think some of those moments we're going to have a humble sense of pride because we're going to say on that day, I did it. And then you're going to see the bigger picture that you were a part of. Let's look at the next one, Katie. Circumstances. Ezra 8, 21 to 23. Ezra 8, 21 to 23. 23. And there by the Ahava Canal, I gave orders for all of us to fast and humble ourselves before our God. We prayed that he would give us a safe journey and protect us, our children and our goods, as we traveled. For I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and to protect us from enemies along the way. After all, we had told the king, our God said, this is great, right? After all, the reason why they didn't want to ask is because they had told the king that God was going to protect them. And then when they got out of there, they were like, maybe that wasn't the best decision because this is going to be a long way to go without any protection. Our God's hand of protection is on all us who worship Him, but His fierce anger rages against those who abandon Him. So we listen to what it did, what they did. We fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us, and He heard our prayer. Many people are familiar with the story of Nehemiah, right? Because Nehemiah is the, we're going to read a verse about him later, uh, probably next week, that that he's the person that God raised up in Babylon to go rebuild the city of Jerusalem and to rebuild the wall. But what people forget is that Ezra was also a contemporary of Nehemiah, and he went on that journey with him. Ezra was the priest, and Nehemiah was the governor. There was both a spiritual leader, and then there was an administrative leader that worked together to begin to rebuild city that was in ruins here is Ezra they're in Babylon it's top right they're in exile they got conquered by a foreign army they got taken away as prisoners years later God is sending them back to rebuild the city Ezra is about ready to go on this long journey and they know that it could be perilous along the way and what they did was they fasted and prayed for protection This is one of the reasons why I love these nine things that Dr. Elmer Towns identifies because it gives us some instruction when we're facing various circumstances and situations in life for what we're supposed to do when we get there. You don't want when you call 911 for the EMT to show up at your house when you're in a medical emergency and thumbing through a manual for what they're supposed to do. Who wants that? When your child is sick and you take them to the pediatrician's office, you don't want them calling the helpline to figure out what to do. You don't don't want to see them on the phone and look over their shoulder and realize they're on WebMD just like you were before you got there. Right? You're expecting them to have some degree of training to do what they're supposed to do. Can we just be honest with each other that as Christians, We should expect ourselves to have some degree of training to know what we're supposed to do when we're in the situation and the circumstance. And one of the things that we're supposed to know what to do is fast, and part of it is that we're supposed to know when we should do it. We should do it all the time throughout the year as a part of our regular commitment to our own spiritual maturity, that's Mark 9. But we should also be well-trained and well-equipped and well-taught because of Isaiah 58 that says when you're facing these kinds of things, fast, pray, and power of heaven moves. When we're facing circumstances that are beyond ourselves, obstacles that we do not have the ability and our own resources and influence to overcome, but stand in the way of God's call and command, we should fast. We, we have been... In a year-long battle with neighbors that live just over there. Year-long battle. That, 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 that we make too much noise when we're here on Saturday nights. Too much noise when we're here on Wednesdays, right? And we and in the reality is we just we're not that loud. Now we're we're loud to compare to what churches were in 1819, right? Granted, right? But but what we do as a church. It's not because we're trying to be modern. What we do as a church is because we're trying to be ancient. When you read in the book of Psalms, they worshiped with passion. They worshiped with zeal. They worshiped with musical instruments. There was shouting and dancing and clapping. What you experienced for those 35 minutes earlier tonight, that's not us trying to be contemporary. That's us trying to be ancient. It's misunderstood as contemporary because the church lost its sense of devotion to ancient worship for centuries. And you know who picked it up? The world did. The world did. Because something inside of us longs to express ourselves musically with passion. and God put it in us. And churches like the City Life Church are going to be a a church that says, we want people to rediscover the presence of God through expressive worship, just like you read about in the book of Psalms. And so most weeks the police are here. You don't know that they're here, but they're here. And every time they come out, they say the same thing. I'm not sure why we're here, because it's really just not that loud. And so I guess it was, I don't know, about a month ago this was one of these circumstances that I was just praying about. And, and, I, and I dedicated, oh, every day I came into the sanctuary and prayed for this situation. And I fasted some that week, fasted some that week, praying about this situation. Because our, our enemy is not our neighbor. Our enemy is not our neighbor. Our, our enemy is the forces of darknesses that are in this world. And that people get unsuspectedly drawn into that we love Now, they might not love us, but we love them. And we love them, and we're, we're going to be respectful of them. But we're not going to change who we are and what we're called to do. And one of the things we're going to do is we're going to fast and pray. We're gonna fast and pray for break. Can I just tell you that week that I set aside to pray and fast? I, I kid you not, I kid you not. The very next week, I had a meeting on my calendar. I could not even remember putting it on there. Vanessa texted me that afternoon. You, you've, you're not gonna be home for dinner tonight, right? Because you have that meeting. I was like, I don't have a meeting tonight And she's because we have a shared calendar and, and, and that also helps me because I'm old and forget where I'm supposed to be. And so she says, she said, no, you, you got a meeting at at NRBC at at seven o'clock, and I so saw I pulled up my account. I was like, huh? I don't even know what that's about, right? And so, sure enough, the, the apparently I had heard about the Neighborhood Watch for this community was holding one of their meetings here at NRBC, and I had said, you know, we want to be good neighbors here. I wasn't even thinking about the situation that we were having with our neighbors here, but we just want to be a part of what's happening in the community. So I showed up at the meeting. The community resource officer for this. Uh, a precinct is there the interim chief of police is there the community resource officer's boss is there and guess what i got to talk to them about all the complaints that are just coming into their office weekend and week out now we were strangers to them the favor of god is not favoritism the favor of god is not favoritism we're not looking for favoritism here but we're looking for the favor of god The favor of God is God's best for us playing out. It's God's best for us. And God's best for us is always what's best for others. God's not picking and choosing who he likes and who he doesn't like. Now, what God's best is sometimes for people is something that they don't realizes what's best for them, right? I'm not saying that there aren't times where people feel like they've lost out on something, but whenever we experience the favor of God that results in somebody else feeling like they lost in that situation and circumstance, it's because they just haven't yet gotten the revelation of the goodness of God for that situation for them. The favor of God is not favoritism. But that night, there was favor. Now, you might say that was coincidental. And what I would say to you is, I love coincidences then as a devoted follower of Christ. I'm all about it. But when you can connect that moment of fasting and and that moment of prayer, and, and maybe you could say, maybe you would say, well, Fred, I'm not sure the fasting and the praying changed that. Then at least what I would say is it changed me so that I had the character of Christ in the conversation when I had the opportunity to talk to those officers. We were a stranger to them up until that point. Now we're developing a relationship. They know who we are. We begin to talk with them about what we're about and and why we're doing what we're doing. And we're going on a journey with the city and trying to get churches. Churches are not given the same exception, exception that high school football teams and marching bands and, and literally ball fields where they use loudspeakers. And all of those groups are given exceptions to the noise, noise ordinance that's written for the city of Newport News. But churches are not given that exception. And I believe, I've been talking to our leadership team about this, I believe that God's put us in this place, so that we can be a part of changing the laws of this city for the protection of religious freedom and religious expression. Right now, you could get in your car tomorrow morning and you could drive around this city and any church that if you could stand beyond 50 feet, which is nothing, 50 feet, 10 basketball hoops, if you could hear it, you could call the police and they could cite them for that. That's not why those ordinances are written. That's not the purpose that those ordinances are there. But people can use them to control the expression of worship. And as a church, we're saying we feel like God's picked us to say we're going to have better laws in our city. So churches can have the freedom of expression that they need to have. When you got here tonight, you might have seen those two officers out there. That's why they were here. And so we're going on this journey and we're, and we're asking you to go on this journey with us where you're praying, N- not praying against the neighbor, but praying against what's behind the resistance because the devil doesn't like the gospel being preached and he's going to do whatever he can to stop it. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I made a vow of devotion to Christ in December of 1990. And it was probably, I want to say, about a month or so after that decision. I was living at home with my parents, and I was saving up money for for graduate school. and, and, uh, and, And I felt like that God asked me to go on a fast. Now, I had been uh, around the church even though the, I was not uh, a devoted follower of Christ. So, so I understood a, a lot of the things that Christianity involved. So even though I was a, a new Christian, the concepts of Christianity weren't new to me. And so I, I knew what I was supposed to do. And so I, I, I picked the next day. So I was like, okay, you know, this is, I want to begin this journey. If I'm going to be all in, right, I, I don't want to start my journey with Christ by picking and choosing the things that I'm supposed to do, right? This is the things that I, I'm talking to you about all the time. And, and so, so I said, you know, what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to fast. I'm going to fast. I was in my early 20s. And, and I just decided that, that for that next day, the only thing I'm going to do is, is juice and water. That's it for the, for the whole day. So I got up that morning and, and, uh, and had juice and water for, for lunch. I had juice and water. dinner I had juice and water and you know and I'm in my 20s and, if, and if, if you have 20 year olds that are in your house, you know it's like when you go to the grocery store it's like one of the plagues of Egypt to pass through right We can eat a lot of food in our 20s, especially as, as, as guys. And so I mean I'm, you would think I've been on a fast for 20 days. I mean I'm starving just after one day, just after one day. So I'm in bed, that night, as I'm falling asleep, I felt like God asked me a question. I've never heard his audible voice. I, I, you've heard me say it before. I feel his voice. And I felt like God asked me this question. Fred, are you hungry? like, yep, yeah, I'm pretty hungry. And he just kept asking me that question over and over and over and over again. Are you hungry? Yes, over and over, right? Tears welling up in my eyes, right? And just having this incredible encounter with God. And, and then this is what he says to me. He says, Fred, that same hunger that your body feels right now, there's a part of you that came alive the day that you made a promise to my son to live for him. Something came alive inside of you. And if you don't feed it, you might not feel that it's hungry, but those hunger pains are there. Don't starve yourself spiritually. That was one of the first encounters I had with God. That's one of the first encounters I had with him when I made a vow of devotion to Christ. See, that's that's part of what fasting is too is that it reminds us that there's something inside of us that so many times we're just out of touch with and disconnected from. And part of... Fasting is what do I experience here is to mirror something I'm experiencing there. So it's about spiritual maturity. It's about these nine things that we're going to work through. But it's also about maybe God trying to put his finger on something in your life that you're denying yourself of. And there's a hunger pain there that God wants you to discover so that you begin to feed it. Stand with me as we pray. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for the challenge. We thank you that that you don't hold back, that you don't make it easy on us. We thank you, God, that you put us in situations and circumstances that seem far beyond anything that we're equipped to handle. But what we know, God, is in those moments we grow, in those moments we change, and in those moments we learn to rely on you in maybe ways that we never have before. For the people that are in here tonight Father that as we go into this last song if there's somebody here tonight that's never done a fast before not, not even in any sense by any measure God I pray that you would inspire their heart that you would allow courage to well up inside of them that they would take a chance on you and they would take a step of faith and practice something that you know could revolutionize their life in Christ's name And everybody said together, amen. Let's worship together.